it may be one shot, it's important, the consequences on civilization are huge, and so we want to be over-cautious about not compromising uh, the culture or the technical features of Bitcoin. Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom, the Bitcoin mecca of the world. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with Giacomo Zucco and Neil Woodfine, and we're going to be discussing Bitcoin toxicity. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. So first up today, we have BlockFi, who are the future of Bitcoin and financial services. Now, with BlockFi, you can open up an interest account and you can start earning interest on your Bitcoin. I am a customer. I've been a customer for nearly a year now, and every month, at the end of the month, I love getting my interest. I love checking out the interest I've received, and I love seeing that my Bitcoin is working for me. But with BlockFi, you can also use your Bitcoin as collateral, and you can take out a USD loan, and you can fund your BlockFi account directly from your Bitcoin wallet. And with the BlockFi mobile app, you can now fully manage your account on the go. If you're interested in checking out BlockFi, I do recommend you do your own research, then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Also, we're going to talk about Kraken, who's my favorite company for buying Bitcoin from. It's the only exchange I use to buy Bitcoin from. You want to know why? You're just thinking, Pete, it's just because they're a sponsor. No, it isn't. There's a couple of other massive reasons I only buy from Kraken. They are consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange. And if you care about security, you want to use an exchange that's got their shit covered with this. They also have the best in class in customer service. So whatever issue you have, whoever you are and wherever you are, they're going to help you get that sorted. And when you want to start trading Bitcoin, they've got every single tool you could possibly want to get going. Now, whatever the level of experience you have, if you head over to Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and start trading Bitcoin. They also have a beautiful mobile first app so you can buy Bitcoin on the go. And with their margin trading futures and OTC desk, Kraken has got every option covered for you. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at Kraken.com or you can download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E. N-P-R-O. Okay, so on to the show today, and I am joined by Giacomo Zucco and Neil Woodfine, and we're going to be discussing the role of toxicity in Bitcoin. And I've been discussing this show with Giacomo for a while. This actually is something I was discussing with him before I made my show with Andreas recently. Uh, I've been trying to understand the value of toxicity in Bitcoin, whether there are unintended consequences. And I know some people are like, don't touch a subject like this, blah, blah, blah. I always think it's like, it's okay to touch these subjects. It's not damaging to t- touch it. And actually, you can learn a lot from it. So I've been discussing with Giacomo in the background. I'm always asking him ideas. He's always really good to me. Thanks, Giacomo. But in doing the research, I came across this really great thread by Neil Woodfine, who's a pretty hardcore Bitcoiner. So I asked him to join it, and he said he would. Now, for any of you who spends time on Bitcoin Twitter or Reddit, you'll see that it can get pretty hostile there sometimes. And Bitcoiners who have flirted with altcoins may have lost their reputation within Bitcoin circles and get pretty hammered sometimes. And ideas that challenge Bitcoin narratives can often be met with a firm defense. And with Bitcoin being decentralized, this defense is not always consistent. And on certain issues, Bitcoiners will fight amongst themselves. All this can make the Bitcoin community sometimes an intimidating place. And make it hard to broach certain subjects or question the status quo. Well, I say that, I don't don't give a fuck, I usually do it anyway. But, you know, sometimes that can lead you into a place where you can, you know, have some pretty tough arguments or people say some pretty tough things to you. However, 
there is a reason for toxicity. Bitcoin is still quite a wild place and, you know, it's experienced its fair share of scams, questionable projects and controversial characters. And these hardcore Bitcoiners have learned to, you know, be radically sceptical to kind of keep things in place. I mean, Segwit's 2x was a great exercise in seeing how a group of people will try and co-op Bitcoin to do something else. Now, I, I have witnesses myself. I've experienced it myself. I've talked about this. And sometimes I think it's been massively unfair. And sometimes, you know, I've retrospectively looked back and think, yeah, no, that's been fair. But I wanted to get into the role of Bitcoin toxicity. I wanted to ask someone like Jackamo and someone like Neil. I wanted them to help me understand, like, why is it of so much value? You know, I felt sometimes that toxicity may have become a badge of honor, overused to harass people. Um... But I shifted my opinion quite a bit in this interview. I did realise I had to kind of self-reflect and some of my issues with toxicity, actually my own issues that I have to deal with myself. Um, but I did push them hard. and I, I think I got owned a couple of times. Um, but that's exactly why I wanted Neil and Jack on my own. And we did end up going down this like libertarian rabbit hole that I wasn't prepared for. But, you know, it is what it is. Anyway, listen, I hope you enjoy this one. If you've got any questions, you can reach out to me. You know that. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, if you head over to my other show, Defiance, we're on part three of my new series about Ghislaine Maxwell, who's the ex-partner of disgraced financier Jeffrey Epstein. And that's it, defiance.news. Episode four is out on Monday. Hope you go and check that out. Um, outside of that, have a great weekend and I will see you all soon. Right, so tricky, potentially tricky topic today that I want to talk with you. And I've been talking to you, Giacomo, about this for a little while now, a little bit of planning. And then in doing my planning, I came across an epic thread of Neil's, which uh, made me want to bring Neil into this. But also just, I obviously speak to both of you offline quite a bit sometimes. I'm not just a, a, a lunatic. I do try and run th- some of my ideas behind you. But I thought discussing the idea or the role of toxicity would be a useful subject because um, just to set it up, when I first got seriously into Bitcoin again in 2017, perhaps I didn't notice it, but I didn't really see this term toxicity around. But there definitely was this role of conservatism, especially during uh, S2X. But more recently, I've seen this uh, term toxicity come up more and more, um, which to me means something more malicious. I've also experienced it some of my, myself, but then again, that just might be to do with the show growing. But also, I'm really kind of conscious or self-conscious about like the role of the show. And if perhaps myself, I'm becoming too soft or there's any negative consequences for the things I do, because ultimately I wouldn't want to damage Bitcoin. I don't, obviously I can't, but just kind of self-aware. So um, yeah, ready to dive into this. You right with us, Giacomo? Yeah, sure, I'm ready. I love this topic actually, as you remember, it was the the, the central topic of my second presentation in Riga, uh, Toxic Maximalism Dissected. And then it was the hidden topic of my presentation after that about uh, shitcoin apologism. So I'm really passionate about this topic. Uh, the, the term toxic itself is, uh, we spent a lot of time thinking about the term maximalism. What does it mean about shitcoins, about changing the Bitcoin protocol, about uh, being nice or not. 
but toxic is also a very very interesting story uh, it's a case of uh, i think it's called reappropriation the cultural term when there is something used as a slur against a group of people and then they reappropriate it because they see that uh, they, it's not worth it fighting so they just appropriate it in ironically at the beginning and then it just become a de facto label it happened with uh, like uh, uh, stuff like uh, queer racial slur sexual slur uh, punks actually even political parties Whigs and uh, and tories in in uk they were slur against them and then they became uh, they became actually the the norm it, it also i think it also happened uh in religions and uh, uh, even impressionists the the impressionist movement in art impressionist was a slur was a, was a way to insult those guys and then they start just self self -defini defining as um, as impressionist so it's it's a very fascinating topic I think that he started, he also, it, it, we will uh, have some hard time uh, insulating different overlapping debates here because there are a lot of layers in this discussion. There is a layer which is the general, to, real, not ironically speaking, real toxicity of the internet. So when we, we, when we create a debate over the internet on Twitter, Reddit, uh, there will be real toxicity, which is basically the typical uh, internet haters uh, culture. So if you become famous with a, with a, with a podcast, people will insult you and, and, and threaten you. And that's kind of normal, even outside Bitcoin. And I will say and that, that that's an interesting mm, point of view. I think outside Bitcoin is even more common than inside Bitcoin. I think that Bitcoin in uh, 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 being an internet subculture, Bitcoin is strangely non-toxic in, in, in this regard, in regard of general uh, internet aggressiveness, internet uh, fights, internet infights. Then there is uh, like there is the, the fact that uh, shitcoiners mostly, so people trying to set, to use the amount of noise in this uh, space uh, to take advantage of people, they uh, started to use insistently this label, toxicity, uh, to, to frame any kind of hard criticism, any kind of strict review, any kind of uh, um, critical sense, any kind of uh, non-naive attempt at uh, separating bullshit from, from, from truth. And, uh, and this, is, this is actually something that in Bitcoin is this, this positive sense of toxicity is something that in Bitcoin, I think is more common than in other subcultures, uh, mostly because there is this uh, don't trust verify uh, ethics and there is this, uh, th this uh, uh, focus on uh, verifying and uh, adversarial thinking and stuff like that. So think about marketing. If you, if you think about pasta or, or, or food or whatever, if you have a company selling uh, this bag of pasta with, uh, with uh, the most tasty pasta in the world, nobody really cares. It's not that some uh, nutritional expert will arrive and they will say, oh, this company, they are scammers because this is not actually the most tasty pasta in the world. This is just quite tasty, but not the most tasty. So they are liars and they are scammers and they have to be blacklisted. In Bitcoin, we basically do that. In Bitcoin, if you do, if you have a commercial company and you use classical marketing, which is basically lying to people, but in a way that is considered normal in any other kind of commercial industry right now, in Bitcoin, we don't, uh, we don't abide, we don't, we don't, uh, uh, that shall not uh, pass basically and we stop it. So this is a positive, uh, a fascinating. And then there is the, the thing that you mentioned, which is 
the toxicity as conservatism, as uh, Bitcoin is very important and is not fragile, it is resistant, but uh, we, we may, we may even if it's not fragile, we may still act as it is because we want to be uh, over cautious about Bitcoin because it's, it, it may be one shot, it's important, the consequences on civilization are huge, and so we want to be over cautious about not compromising uh, the culture or the technical features of Bitcoin. So a lot of stuff to discuss. A lot of stuff. I guess the root thing I want to get to is could there ever be un any unintended consequences of becoming too toxic? I think that's the ultimate point I want to get to. Like, could, pe could, could things within Bitcoin end up eating itself? That's, I guess, where I'm going to. But before we do that, that's quite a setup, Giacomo, as ever. Uh, fabulous. Neil, just to pass it over to you, what's at stake here? Um, I think uh, people underestimate how important the toxicity debate is because um, often what we're doing, we're, in my mind, the toxicity thing is all about two things. One is deflecting conversation away from actual debates. So all of a sudden we start discussing how we should be talking about things instead of actually talking about the thing. And then the, the second thing is control. So if you can dictate how people should be discussing certain issues, you can start to dictate like what issues they, they can talk about, where they talk about them, um, that kind of thing. And if we allow those kind of voices to kind of uh, take control of, of Bitcoin debates and then deflect away from important conversations, um, that can um, uh, distract from um, really important matters that relate to uh, Bitcoin's operation. And like Bitcoin fundamentally is implemented at a social level. Like yes, the mechanical aspects of it, the software and um, the nodes, the miners, like um, create a level of automation that allows us to get some kind of social scalability, some social, uh, some scalable consensus going on. But like um, uh, it is still implemented socially. And if we allow these kind of like um, disruptors to disrupt these important conversations, it could have um, very negative effects um, on on the, the the Bitcoin network and the Bitcoin system in general. Um, yeah, and I, I actually understand that from having the conversation with Andreas, you know, discussing gatekeepers and Bitcoin, which I concluded myself there aren't. And I, you know, Giacomo, you know, I had a long conversation with you about that before I published it. I did think about that show quite a bit and I came to the conclusion there wasn't, but I understood the the kind of reaction to that, that some people felt like that would skew the conversation. So I'm with you there, Neil, I understand that. But I guess when I asked you what's at stake here, I actually was alluding to your tweet storm with regards to Bitcoin. Like, what's at stake here with regards to Bitcoin? This one chance, this one opportunity. Right. So I, I think like uh, what I just mentioned there is one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is like Bitcoin is this um, invention like gunpowder. And once it's invented, it's not going back in the bottle. And in Bitcoin's case, what we have is a sound money, which is completely out of control, out of the control of governments and central banks. And that is extremely threatening to some very powerful, very dangerous people. However you feel about politics, it's undeniable that states have engaged in some of the worst kind of actions against man in human history. And then also we know that central banks and commercial banks 
are very evil institutions in general. They're willing to do anything, or at least certain people at the top are willing to do anything to increase their profits, to increase the amount of debt that's on their books. Um, they're willing to fund two sides of a war. They're willing to start wars um, to get what they want. So like, this is the kind of people, the kind of organizations that Bitcoin is competing with. And so all of a sudden, we're talking about like, I mean, for example, on this podcast, we're talking about toxicity. It kind of, it's ridiculous to an extent to be talking about this topic when like there's like much bigger matters, much bigger issues at hand. For example, Bitcoin versus versus the banks versus the state. And like right now, Bitcoin is pretty small. Like it's not on the radar of a lot of influential people. They're keeping an eye on it, but like it's not a big, big, big enough issue for it to matter yet. But as Bitcoin's market cap grows and the number of users using it grows, like it will start to um, frustrate a lot of people. And like, if you feel like you live in a completely free country, for example, you live in America and you think like, don't worry, like our constitution and stuff will protect us. Nothing totally crazy will happen. That can't, you can't guarantee that that's going to be the case for every single country in the world. And there are many countries around the world which may react particularly badly to Bitcoin. And we need to keep that in mind that these kind of state level threats will be leveled against Bitcoiners, against the Bitcoin network itself in the near to mid future. Right, well, you've given me a good idea for another show, so maybe it is a benefit to doing this. But um, I guess one of the reasons I did want to approach it is is this kind of self-awareness of perhaps I'm doing things that if I real like my own actions can have negative consequences, that they that I can be producing content that has a negative consequence, which is why I wanted to do, do this as well. But also in speaking to other people, I interviewed uh, Amiti the other day, who's a new core developer, she was involved in the situation with regards to the renaming of the variable, the blacklist. And that obviously that upset a lot of people. Um, and I disagreed with her. I don't think it should have been changed. I did think that change reflected um, the politicizing of something in Bitcoin. But at the same time, I was sympathetic to the abuse that she received. And when I talk about unintended consequences, I also noted the um vlad's response to you know getting quite a feeling the pressure when that went through um what do you think about that giacomo so think since you're talking about unintended consequence i think it's honest to realize there is a trade-off it's not like toxicity is a just a good thing toxicity in a in the good sense uh, use that like a self reappropriate label it's not that it's like a silver bullet that will do anything without any kind of consequence for example uh, i can see uh, really a, a, a pro and cons of having this kind of strong thought uh, mindset. Uh, for example, with Vlad, I, I remember reading Vlad reacting negatively about the polemics about Blocklist. And then I was liking, uh, every time there was somebody like saying, Vlad did a great job, uh, mostly for free, uh, is very balanced. Uh, we have to be thankful, and I was like liking. And then it was some somebody else. Come on, Vlad, man up! You should resist this stuff. If you will have nation states against you, you, sh you should be a little bit more resilient to criticism. This is the internet, so you will always have uh, morons around. And I was liking because that's true. I mean, come on, Vlad. I mean, you cannot get depressed because somebody disagrees about something that happened. This will happen. Ignore us. Uh, do something else. We will do our stuff. You will be. Do, you will do yours. So th there is this kind of uh, that there are 
two sides and I see both sides. Mostly, I think the trade-offs is mostly like this. Uh, the, the culture of purity, of being rigorous, of being strict, of going outside the comfort zone, of challenging. This is a culture that has uh, some advantage. The, the first one is intellectual rigor because we can lower the noise in the, in the, in the ecosystem if we are very strict, if you evaluate any, uh, any, any, any claim very strictly. So intellectual rigor. Then we can avoid, as Neil mentioned, uh, unintended compromises or deterioration of the system because, well, technically speaking, it's very difficult to change Bitcoin in a bad way. We have seen that with uh, with the New York Agreement attack. But even culturally speaking, uh, there are some kind of very slow deterioration that we can have. I mean, uh, the, the Internet uh, on, uh, on a certain level was too big to fail and too resilient to, and too anti-fragile to fail. But it did fail in some ways. Like now we have a very centralized DNS. We have a very centralized uh, ISP structure. So the internet was more censorship resistant than it became because the, we allowed during the 90s the culture to become more weak, more non-adversarial, non more naive, more... So th there is a, the, the, the second advantage of purity is that we keep uh, the culture very, very focused on what's important, avoiding a deterioration, a degradation of that. The third advantage is that we self-regulate. Since we try to avoid people from being scammed or to reduce and mitigate the number of people that will be scammed, we may keep regulators away from us because uh, scams are actually inviting regulators in. So we have to prove that we can self-regulate. This is a very important point because some people think that being, being nasty with scammers, being very strict, being a little bit paranoid is uh, against being libertarians. Like if you are libertarians, you are for free market, so you will, should never criticize, you should never uh, analyze, you should never audit because it's, I mean, you're libertarian, but that's not libertarianism. Libertarianism is not using the violence of the state against somebody, but that's required even more scrutiny, not less. In order to keep regulators out of ICOs, we be, create a culture in which we are over cautious and overcritical of ICOs, not less. So it's, it's not like I want the SEC to stop you. I want to criticize you so that the, the noise is so low and the signal is so high that the, the SEC will not have easy excuses to come in. And then the fourth advantage is basically pushing the comfort, pushing people outside the comfort zone. So there are uh, like, there is a, a debate between UX and security, like you always uh, uh, very often mention, but we don't have to think that this is symmetric because uh, good UX is something that people will spontaneously uh, flow to without any kind of cultural effort. While good security, since there is a very long feedback loop, people need to push themselves and to push each other. It's like uh, between, uh, for example, there, there is a trade-off in food between tasty and healthy, but not always, but often. Uh, but it's not very symmetrical because, yes, very often, because the point is that people will, you don't need to, to, to have some kind of intervention with your friends and family to, and, and to teach your children, come on, let's all try to eat very, very uh, tasty uh, and juicy stuff. I mean, that's natural. People will spontaneously go there. You have to be over cautious on the other side to say, I'm, I mean, I'm, I know that you want something tasty, but is this also healthy? So I know that in the short term, your benefit will be in this side of the trade-off. But are you thinking about the benefits on the long term? So when you talk about UX and security, 
uh, it's it's uh, pushing people outside the comfort zone is useful because you need culture for that. You need uh, dogmas, taboos. You need social uh, social protocols to force people to be better. You don't need social protocol to force people to just uh, be lazy. So that that's of course naturally. So these are the, the advantages. But I see the disadvantages. I mostly the disadvantages are. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the advantages of let's confront this uh, purity culture with uh, some kind of inclusion culture where we just prioritize inclusion of everybody. We want we, we don't want purity. We don't want focus. We don't want scrutiny. We just want inclusion. So the advantage of these are mostly uh, one good feelings. I mean, it's better to go along with everybody. It's it's tiring. It's uh, sometimes personally demanding. Like for Vlad, it was very demanding to see negativity. Negativity is bad. It's better if we are all friends, if we can. The second is that actually, if we have more adoption, we can we we can benefit Bitcoin a little bit because we we used to say that Bitcoin doesn't need adoption. That's partially true, but. Adoption is a nice to have for some things. For example, liquidity. The more adoption, the more liquidity, the stronger Bitcoin is, and the, the richer Bitcoiners are, which can be useful for the battle against the state. Second, anonymity set. The more people is using Bitcoin in many con the, in, in more contexts, the more it's difficult to spy and track because there is an increased uh, anon set of people using that. So there is a, there is a, a point in having adoption. Then the third point, the third advantage about inclusion, which many people may think is, is not very uh, idealistic, but it's true, it's monetizing. You cannot make money if it's in, on something which is very, very niche. Like your podcast makes money if we have inclusion and adoption, if we have more people, if we get more capital, more interest, more views. And if we stay niche, that's good for our maybe self-routiness feelings. But it's bad for monetizing because it's not easy to make business on in something which is very nice. And the last that I think Andreas mentioned it in your in your last episode with him, I think that was a very very good point. This is in trade off with pushing outside the comfort zone. The point is hypocrisy. So if we create a culture in which we insist that we should do better and that we should go the hard way instead of the easy way. The problem is that we create a culture that is, is partially necessarily hypocritical because it's like, come on guys, let's not eat junk food. And we talk about that, but it's obvious that somebody will eat junk food and nobody will ever eat perfectly. And so there will be a little bit of tendency to, for some people to maximize the rhetoric of let's guys, let's run an ode, let's go and join and then minimize the action because talking is cheaper than, than acting. So there will be some degrees of uh, hypocrisy. The purity cultures tend to be hypocritical. Like Andrea said, uh, when you when you have the purest, uh, epurating the less pure, the, the most pure is often somebody who is just, just better at lying about how much pure it is. So these points are true. But before I stop this, this too, too long answer, I want to point out that even if there is a trade-off, so there is good in purity, it's not that purity is bad. Purity tests are useful socially and inclusion is useful socially. But the situation is not symmetrical, mostly for two reasons. The first, failing, if Bitcoin fails because it becomes too niche, too strong, too hard, it's still working in a way for some people. If Bitcoin fails because it becomes too normalized, too, uh, too, too mainstream, without any privacy, without any uh, hardness, so if Bitcoin normalizes too much, Bitcoin becomes 
completely useless. If Bitcoin remains too pure, Bitcoin is still useful, even if maybe not as powerful as it could be finding the perfect balance. So my point would be Goldilocks balance will be better if we can fine tune the, 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 the point exactly in between too much purity and too much inclusion, I'm all for finding the perfect balance. But if you have to be mistaken, if you have to err, I think it's always safer to err on the side of more purity than to err on the side of more inclusion. Also because you have this, this problem of uh, this, this contradiction of people. And I think that Andreas may be sometimes uh, erring on this side that becomes purists of inclusion. So you have the, you, you have the nasty guy like the scammer. Then you have the, the purity guardian that will react, will react very harshly to the scammer. It will be, he will be toxic to the scammer. Then we have the nice guy that will say, come on, don't be toxic with the scammer. And then you will have the purity tester gatekeeper of niceness that will actually target not the scammers, but the guys reacting to the scammers and it will, uh, and they will basically be super unwelcoming and super and super uh, and super gatekeeping against these guys. For example, the reaction that uh, a typical example was the blacklist debate. So uh, the, the the this anonymous developer proposed to change blacklist to a, a terrible idea blacklist because because people with dark skin could be offended, which is which is actually crazy. But uh, nobody actually blocked this guy from GitHub. Nobody insulted this guy very much. People reacted. But then when somebody, Ben Verrett, came to, uh, to, to push a better term in agreeing with Vlad in a very constructive way, uh, some developers actually signaled Ben to get, hit, uh, to get him banned from GitHub for trolling. So okay. the reaction of the nice guy is actually becoming even more toxic than the toxic reaction against the initial perceived threat, which is paradoxical. Yes, we're like in toxic toxicity inception now. I'm a bit lost with it. But no, but I understand it. Like I, I tend to be a little bit softer myself. I'm a bit of a centrist. Like I'm not full libertarian and I just tend to sit on the middle of the road. So I get that. And it's funny you raise the UX thing because that's usually what me and Neil kind of <laughs> kind of uh, fight against each other a little bit privately. But but I understand, like I am trying to understand it. And I actually had a conversation with Giggy the other day where I was talking to him about UX because he wrote a very good article and I've definitely been one of the people along with Dan Hell talking about UX. And I guess the reason I bring the UX up is it's not a criticism of anyone particularly doing work. Like I think the, the devs are doing great work. But when I see particular people talk about some of the great things about Bitcoin, like it's a great hedge against inflation. Now everyone should be buying Bitcoin. You know, Fiat is dying, you know, hurry, blah, blah, blah. And then I talked to someone like Giggy who said, look, UX is about five years away from being user-friendly. Most people are going to make mistakes with privacy. I see that as a contradiction. So that's when, does that make sense, Neil? Like in that kind of area, I'm like, well, should we really be telling people that, oh, you know, it's a great, it's the best money that's ever existed. It's the hardest money. It's a hedge against inflation. Fear's going to die. Oh, but by the way, you have to you have to meet these uh, UX hurdles. You have to understand XPubs. You have to understand CoinJoin. You have to un understand coin control, which majority of people I just don't think will meet that technical barrier. Um, so, I mean, I've, like I've said to you before, um, I don't think yeah. that's, I, I don't think the conversation that goes on on Twitter, which is, Bitcoin UX is bad. We must dumb it down, and that's like 
basically the summary of the comments that yourself and, and other people are making. And it's just repeating that over and over again. This is, I'm not this sure. is too complicated. I'm that's, not sure that's true. Right. I think it is. Um, and it's not constructive. It's not like it's not improving the state of Bitcoin UX whatsoever. What will um, improve Bitcoin UX is profit-driven companies building products to meet market demand. And there's various different types of Bitcoin users within the Bitcoin space. People with complete, like a trader has completely different needs to a hodler, for instance. They require different types of UI, different levels of um, uh, technicality. Within the trader space, you get beginners, you get experts. They all have like different needs. And what will solve this problem is Bitcoin companies producing good Bitcoin UIs and, and their users gravitating towards them and giving them um, sats, giving them money. Um, and any amounts of just like repeatedly kind of banging that message, Bitcoin is too complicated and people shouldn't have to learn this, shouldn't have to learn that. It's, it's totally useless. It's just going into the void. It's not It's not helping anything. But like re- relating this back to toxicity, I mean, we're talking about UX now. Like right now we're talking about the merits of various different views and stuff like that. Um, but we're not talking about like how we should talk about this topic, which is important. Like, let's talk about ideas, and we'll probably never agree on certain things. Um, me and Jack Moore have lots of disagreements on, on various different things, I'm sure. So, like, uh, we just have to accept that. Um, and like, just going back to the Amidi and, uh, and Vlad example, I would like to see some like specific examples of what they considered to be abuse. So, for example, if they're getting some really nasty, abusive DMs. That's abuse. Nobody condones that. When we talk about Bitcoin toxicity, like nobody's supportive of that. However, I think they're conflating a lot of genuine, thoughtful criticism that's being directed their way. And some of it is um, probably quite angry and um, pointed, but like they've got to accept that this is part of working on Bitcoin because the internet and the world is a big place and the amount of Bitcoin users is growing and we're just 100% not going to agree on everything. And like this stuff, like uh, some people hold millions of dollars in Bitcoin and they really care quite strongly about like what's going on in the Bitcoin um, GitHub repository, what's going on on the inside of their nodes. So like, yeah, I I think it's important that we're specific and that we discuss like the actual idea um, rather than like kind of divert the conversation to this totally pointless meta conversation about how we should be talking about this and where should we be talking about it? I mean, I don't agree with everything you said there, but I think you'd expect that. Yes. Um, So I think there's like different like podcasts out there and some of them are pro Bitcoin. And I don't mean that like Balaji, I mean, just like very pro Bitcoin talk about all the benefits, Austrian economics, and they do great jobs, I think. But I try to mine as a different point. I don't see it as a cheerleading for Bitcoin. I see it as, uh, dealing with a wide range of issues and maybe these are the issues that new people coming into bitcoin are questioning and it helps them answer it or maybe i'm trying to reflect the opinions of other people and i you know got hundreds of examples of feedback that i've received um so when when i talk about ux it's because I, i'm trying to explain that there are people who do struggle with this and it's not to say that anything has to change and it's not to criticize anyone but it's just to say look there's certain things that People find really difficult. So, for example, if when Luke Dasher talks about the number of people operating a node at the moment is dangerously low, then I will raise the issue of, well, this is why I think people won't operate a node. And these are these reasons. And a lot of it's to do with the UX. 
and I think I actually think that is a valid conversation because it is a is a counter to a point that somebody very central and critical to Bitcoin has made as a risk. So I, I don't see it as a non non issue to bring it up. Said I don't actually know the, the kind of like abuse things that I've seen from uh, Amitya and Vlad directly. I mean I know the, the the ones I've received and they're brutal and they're offensive and they go as far as telling me. I I hope you die and get cancer like your mother and you're a paedophile and yeah it's full on and I don't tolerate it and I don't think it's acceptable and if I see other people do it I do stand up against it but at the same time there are people who certain names I, I, yeah we don't need to go into detail but like there are people who are, are, are acting toxic and I don't think sometimes we do always stand up against it and I think sometimes people are given a voice when they are particularly offensive and you know i know jack and you'll say well like, like i get it if 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 the answer to this is look pete we have to accept this this is what it requires to create the best money all right i get it i understand that but i at least want to know that's what people think so uh i think that uh, the, the the answer is uh, is uh, we should accept that on the internet you will receive toxicity uh, in the real sense, in the bad sense, and the more exposed you are, the more you will receive that kind of shit. Uh, I, I remember we discussed the Tim Ferriss article about the, the level of hate you received when you became famous. It's a very good article, yeah, it's, it's and also good. not just hate. Yeah, it's very good. So celebrity plus anonymity on the internet creates this kind of very bad stuff. And this is something that I think people will just ignore, but famous people or famous people within a niche will have to accept. I do have some of that myself smaller because you have a wider reach. You just have more generalized. I'm more niche as a, as a Bitcoiner on Twitter. You are more, uh, you have a bigger audience and you have a, a, a perceived success. So success plus visibility plus internet will always uh, gather that kind of situation. Uh, I, I think we have to accept because I don't have any brilliant idea to fix uh, the internet, uh, uh, to fix uh, nasty people over the internet. But we should probably be able, uh, and thanks to you for, for this distinction, to distinguish the, the real uh, nastiness of people writing that kind of stuff from the self-appointed reappropriation of uh, ironic, sarcastic toxicity that is the way we label the uh, harsh criticism or merit, which is not personal, which is just on the on the things, which is just on the topic itself. So uh, it's like, I don't know if other people reappropriating a term had the same problem. Maybe you have uh, the punk pe people in punk music and they want to to make people know that they don't they are not real punks in the, in the bad term or or the queer queer literature queer studies they, they they're not queer in that sense they are trying to be professional but they are just reappropriated the label so toxic toxicity in a pseudo sarcastic way as be strict be conservative be verifying auditing demanding that's something i think we should overall uh, uh, sustain and, and defend, while uh, being bad with other people without any reason on the internet is something that is called toxicity, but this, this, this overlapping is actually uh, the, 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 the thing that Neil was talking about, about deflection. So people that will receive honest criticism uh, and, and, uh, and factual criticism, they will try often, and they did try often to deflect into uh, just being nasty. So yeah. I'm criticizing you because of this. Uh, oh, but now you are just doing like the guys 
threatening me on on PM. So that's why I think that Ney was very uh, was very on point when he asked about specifics. Even when when Matt Corallo uh, twice uh, on the distance of two years uh, launched an appeal about uh, being nice, most of the people uh, I think that the most appropriate response was not "you're crazy," but was what are you talking about exactly? Because some scammers may use your appeal in order to pretend a better treatment for their scams, and we don't want to do that. Some guys that, that attacked Bitcoin with, uh, with New York Agreement, they will try to use your appeal in order to pretend and demand a whitewashing of the past history, and we don't want to do that. We want to be, uh, we want to be strict. We want to be uh, able to, to, to judge fairly but honestly at the best of our capabilities but if you're talking about somebody uh, attacking viciously somebody else for no reason we should we, we would like to see this difference because one thing is the ironic toxicity that is the the, the reappropriation of the label and one thing is bad people on the internet that we know exist and we don't want to be and we don't want to condone i think that in your show in particular there may be something that uh, that creates this kind of of uh, of uh, uh, collision, right. yeah. Especially because you, I think, you are trying to do two things, which are both very, very useful and very, very good in themselves. But you do them together. The first, you are trying to talk with non-experts, simplifying because non-experts need simplification. Noobs, newcomings, non-expert. The second, you try to be uh, a like a challenging journalist, asking difficult questions, but. These two things are not very easy to do in the same show with the same people because noobs and non-experts will, uh, easily, f uh, will easily get lost into nuances and they will just miss a reassuring narrative. And if you don't provide that, they will just get to take it from some kind of scammer. For example, I am a noob. I listened to your podcast about lightning with uh, Ta Taj and Taj will actually do something great. He will actually pinpoint all the problems of lighting, which are many there, there and they are huge. And the noob will just now, uh, will just get lost in the nuances and they will just now join some, some shitcoin narrative like uh, Bcash or BSV or something like that, or possibly. Mm. Because uh, nuances are one thing and simplification for noobs is another thing. And I think that we already discussed yeah, this in, in private messages. May, yeah, maybe uh, you will get less uh, reactions if you uh, separated a uh, simplification job from challenge job and and beware that simplification job will allow you to uh, claim that you are non-technical but in order to ask difficult question you will have and you can because you're smart you will have to actually get into more technicality and you cannot avoid it that is like a, a journalist asking a difficult question to uh, i don't know to trump about uh, about uh, military politics and then trump says but these missiles are like this and they are say oh I i'm not technical about missiles i'm not i mean you have to because when you ask difficult questions unfortunately you have to get deeper into details you cannot avoid it yeah no they're really fair points and i did that did weigh on me after after that conversation Next up, I talk to Giacomo and Neil more about toxicity in Bitcoin. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing sponsors. So we're going to talk about Casa, who are without doubt the best in Bitcoin security. Now with Casa, it could not be easier to protect your Bitcoin from hackers, personal mistakes, 
in-person attacks, device failures, and so much more. And I'm now a customer. If you've been listening to this show regularly, you know that. I am now a customer. I am a paying customer. Look, I freaking love it. It's totally solved my security headaches. All the things I was worried about, it's all done. It's all sorted. I can't fuck this up anymore. And listen, Bitcoin's going to kill it this year. We've just seen Square put money into Bitcoin 50 million. We know what MicroStrategy did. If the companies start coming in, your Bitcoin holding is going to be worth a whole lot more. So you should definitely go and check out Casa. And listen, they've got a product for every Bitcoiner out there. With Casa Gold, you get triple the security of a hardware wallet for only $10 a month. With Casa Platinum, you get their 3 or 5 multi-sig, the best protection for large Bitcoin holders. That also comes at a great price. And with Casa Diamond, you get the full service offering. That includes a customized personal security review, inheritance planning, and of course, their best-in-class security. There's no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security. So if you want peace of mind, head over to keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Also, we're going to talk about my other sponsor, sportsbet.io, who are the best in online gaming. And you heard recently that the Premier League is back. And you heard that they're sponsoring Southampton. You heard they put a Bitcoin logo on their shirt. And you also heard that they are sponsoring Arsenal. Do you know why they do all this? They love Bitcoin. They absolutely love Bitcoin. I've been over to Estonia. I've spent time with the team. I've been out for drinks with them. They want to promote Bitcoin. And they're now putting it in front of billions of football fans worldwide. And with football back on the TV and the Premier League back in swing, and we're not going to talk about Liverpool's result against Aston Villa. What a shocker. But there is no better time to put a wager on your team. And at sportsbet.io, they always have promotions for football fans. Just head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions and Sportsbet is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T. That's .io forward slash promotions. And lastly, this week, but not least, we're going to hear from Least Authority, who I welcome back as a sponsor recently. Now, they are for you techies out there, the people who are building the applications. Least Authority is a security consulting company pushing the limits of how to build privacy-respecting solutions. They specialize in security audits, design specification reviews, and security by design. And they can help you improve the security of your wallet application, key management solution, layer 2 protocol, P2P network design, use of cryptography, and look, so much more. And do you know what? You can get a no-obligation call. You can reach out to them, and they will do that with you, talk to you about how they can help you with your security strategy. To do this, just head over to their website. They've got a schedule a call button. Hit that, and they will get back to you. And that's at leastauthority.com, which is L-E-A-S-T-A-U-T-H-O-R-I-T-Y.com. Just one last thing on that toxicity point before like, I move on to the next thing, because I do want to quote Neil, because Neil's got some great quotes. Um, do you think there's any risk where the, the toxic badge of honour could ever radicalize someone to the point of doing something dangerous or stupid. Um, so a couple few years ago, for example, we saw a lot got swatted. Do you think any we could ever get to the point where someone wants to make a name for themselves in Bitcoin? They like this toxic badge of honor. They want to be toxic. They see someone's as a threat and could ever feel radicalized to the point of doing something crazy. Or do you think that's just so far out? Like, just don't fucking worry about it. I think that's possible in any subculture and project from Linux to, to whatever, any kind of project where there is this struggle between inclusion and purity can have that kind of radicalization. But to, to, to put everything in context, I think that Bitcoin is, is one of the contexts where that is less dangerous and less probable and less likely and less uh, concerning for the simple reason that it's over the Internet. So even the worst thing that can happen is still speech. 
and uh, it's it it uh, it's a project based on pseudonymity. Even if most developers are now they are known, there is no reason a develop a good developer could not be anonymous like Satoshi was. Which is actually something uh, the, the whole point of crypto anarchy was to make physical violence impossible because people will just commerce over the internet using names. I know that we are not there yet because using pseudonymous is difficult. It's super expensive. It's super costly. So people don't do that. We are not doing that. We are using our face, which is not the best obsec, but it's just simpler. We, we prefer that. But in Bitcoin, where, there is, where most of the interaction are based over the internet, uh, and uh, and when we can go all anonymous if of pseudonymous if we must, I think that we still have the risk of uh, violence following debate, but it's a less strong risk than in any other context, which is, by the way, also connected to the blacklist situation, because for the very same reason that we are over the internet, that we are approaching slowly uh, crypto anarchy, uh, stuff like the amount of melanin in my skin, or the, the genitals that I have down there are, uh, are basically less important in Bitcoin than in almost any other subculture I can even imagine. Uh, what, is, what is a possible gatekeeping barrier for me in Bitcoin? One, technical knowledge, that's, that's, a, that's a barrier, but that's a reasonable barrier. Two, language, because before I, I started to, to talk with this, with this Oxford English that I'm, that I'm, that I'm showing off now, I, three, uh, like six years ago, I was completely uh, barred from uh, contributing meaningful to Bitcoin debate because I didn't know how to speak English. That, that's an important barrier. Uh, skin, color, uh, genitals, nobody even sees that over the mailing list. So they are not really important. They may be important only in social context around Bitcoin, like this conference. And if somebody is as good looking as me on a stage, of course, it will, uh, he will have some advantage over you, Peter, because I mean, look at us. But yeah. this is in very particular. <laughs> this oh, is just in very particular. <laughs> no, I mean, I know. Uh, yeah. To be serious now, you are taller than me. So you will inside, if, if we have a, a physical debate, and we are facing each other and we are screaming, uh, you uh, have a, like a lower voice and you are taller, so you will have, uh, from a physical point of view, an advantage in a conversation, aggressive conversation. Over the internet, we don't give a fuck. So uh, wow. even uh, that trend... Over the internet, you have an advantage that you know more than me and you're funny. I'm not particularly funny. <laughs> so we all have our advantages well, uh, in different situations. Internet is a is a leveler in a way. It's a uh, it's a it, it tears down a lot of differences, and also it can reduce physical aggression risks. So I'm not scared about radicalization. As well, you can't connect. You can't link physical violence to criticism. It's just this is exactly what I was talking about in this kind of like attempts to control the conversation. Because basically, anybody that disagrees with you in a kind of forthright manner. You can immediately say that they're radicalizing some kind of loonies on the internet or statistically run some probability of potentially radicalizing some loonies, which then go and do something horrible to somebody else and then like attribute some of that blame to the person making the criticism. And all of a sudden, you've kind of conflated uh, verbal criticisms of ideas with this kind of threat of physical violence. It's insane. Like. Yes, there are total crazies out there online and they may do horrible things, but it has got nothing to do mm -hmm. with people making um, um, criticisms of people online. And like we can look at any of these um, instances. I mean, 
when toxicity is um, leveled at the, the, the Bitcoin sphere, it's generally coming from shit coiners, no coiners. Um, uh, there's been a kind of an increasing group of inclusion focused um, Bitcoiners uh, are doing it these days, Bcashers. Like all of these people are generally in the wrong and, or at least uh, potentially in the wrong. And they don't want to discuss the idea. And therefore, they're just pushing this into this, pushing us into this realm of like your behavior and the way you're talking to me and criticizing my ideas is potentially causing a threat to, to me physically. And like immediately, that shuts down the, 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 the conversation. You can't, I mean, it just escalates things to this level of like, I've just physically threatened you. Like, you can't, like, most of the people that we're talking about, the, the, the people that are labeled toxic in the Bitcoin sphere, they lead by example. They may um, say things in a way that people don't like, but they are always civil. They're never or very rarely abusive. And um, and then there's an, another issue is like this idea that like um, uh, toxic Bitcoiners are tolerating the abuse of Bitcoiners. Like somebody else being abusive is not my problem. Like if I, this idea that I'm complicit in their abuse, if I don't like shut them down and like create a campaign to have them like, blocked by everybody like that's their problem they're an arsehole and like whoever they're abusing should take steps to block them and, and should 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 yeah, out any not. kind of channels for them communicating but that's not that's not on me and I, I think that's a very big problem that like in this toxic conversation it's conflating these abusive horrible people with this larger group of people which are just interested in bitcoin they're very passionate about Bitcoin and they have different ideas to the people that are accusing them of being toxic. I think there are different ideas within Bitcoin as well. Okay, so I don't, I wouldn't say there is um, consistency, certainly on, certainly on political ideas, for example. So I've got your, this is a great quote, Neil. Um, the Bitcoin industry, uh, sorry, Bitcoin industry culture is therefore necessarily one of extreme skepticism, cynicism, cynicism, rigorous review forthright language regardless of whether you're discussing bitcoin development business or economics no one is safe that's brilliant that 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 quote alone was like that made me really think about well firstly just wanting to you to have be part of this show but think about my own points of view on this but there isn't consistency with political ideas there can be plenty of people who are bitcoin only but but aren't into the idea of maybe anarchism or libertarianism who aren't aren't completely into the idea of a no state solution and i know that's or, or even maybe some people who who you know this will challenge you giacomo who like uh, the thoughts of a police force i know you you didn't you have a discussion with daniel buckner regarding some footage from a police shooting you both have very similar political ideas but you disagreed maybe on that point because he thought with regards to the police, well, you'll still have a private police force who would still maybe want identities. The, the point being is, like, what I'm trying to get to is that sometimes some of the conversations can get... Well, I guess the question I'm asking is, when you say Bitcoin culture and then you say extreme scepticism, cynicism, I agree with all of those points. But do we have a consistent culture around political ideas within Bitcoin? Because I would say we don't. I think there's le I think there's almost yeah. factions. I think, I think you're 100 correct, and I would even say that there's a large portion of developers which are probably quite left leaning from a like kind of traditional meaning of the sense. Personally, I think that's contradictory with just the very kind of essence of Bitcoin. 
and I could provide a lot of arguments for that, but that's not really what we're we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about differences of opinion and like whether that affects the culture. So um, yes, the, 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 there is those differences of opinion, but I don't think that's part of the culture. Um, like libertarianism, you could maybe make an argument that it's perhaps a, a subculture of Bitcoin, but um, what definitely is part of Bitcoin culture is the skepticism, the cynicism, and the debate. Regardless of which kind of side of that political debate you land on, you're still going to be in those heated, um, uh, pointed discussions, especially when it comes to like how to move the technology forward and how to protect it against um, certain threats. Like um, there's just no avoiding it. And if and if you want to avoid that, you're doing it wrong, and you're you're outside of, of Bitcoin culture. And there's a lot of people that um, have kind of tried to fight against it, and I think have come out pretty badly. And there are a lot of people that are currently fighting against it. And if they don't kind of adapt to that culture, they probably will find themselves doing working on um, different projects. Does that include me? <laughs> no, I, I don't. I mean, this is a funny thing. God, you're so toxic. This, a lot of these people like. A lot of these people are implying that they're going to leave Bitcoin if, like, if, like the entire internet doesn't get nice all of a sudden. Like, <laughs> one, the internet is not going to get nice. That's just not happening. And like, all your complaints are falling on deaf ears. It's totally useless. And, and two, these people are going to come back. Like, there's no way that, for example, you decide that everybody's too rude to you online. They don't like your ideas. You're going to go off and work on, on some other project. Like, I guarantee you, within like six months to a year, you're going to see all these exciting things happen on Bitcoin. Like, the price is going to go have gone up there's going to be all these intelligent people having these exciting debates you'd be back like just all the threats are just like completely empty like um, I, th yeah. I think one thing just so listeners understand is that um me and neil are both from the uk but he's from the northeast and they raise them a lot tougher there's no sunshine everything's gray and cold and wet and you just grow up tougher whereas I, i'm in the the middle where it's a bit more green everyone's a bit Bit, a bit happier it's a, it's a bit sunnier we, we get some of the sunshine so that's maybe why we're we're a little bit different Neil. that's why maybe you're a bit more toxic than me it's like a winterfall man against uh, against king's landing uh <laughs> <Edonis. laughs> yeah what do you think about the political uh, anyway stuff, this jacomo because the political stuff does so, the, the political stuff does come up a lot and there are a lot of differences does it does it matter so i think that bitcoin is so this is a similar trade-off of or a part of the trade-off we were discussing before. I discussed the purity versus, versus inclusion. And in a way, uh, this trade-off is actually overreaching of other topics, trying to be to extend the idea of Bitcoin consistently, as much consistently as possible, or anything else. So using Bitcoin as a tool to understand better or to challenge better other uh, knowledge, other convictions, other ideas, or restriction of Bitcoin to try to stay on topic, stay there. So we, we are basically a restriction will lead to more inclusion because if we try to agree on very few things and not even discuss everything else, we will be more inclusive because we will not clash about everything else. While if we try to be very purist and we try to search rigor and consistency over anything else, then we will probably be tempted to actually expand the, 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 the logical consequences because the universe is just one thing. Life is just one thing. We can use uh, topics and, and domains to, uh, as a tool to divide knowledge. But actually, if, if A is equal to A, A is equal to A everywhere. One and one is two. And there is 
one logical consistency everywhere from nutrition to uh, to to climate to animal rights to borders to police to to, to software engineering to uh, to to everything so uh, there is this trade off here and uh, it's very, very, it's very, very important in Bitcoin because Bitcoin didn't start inside a well-defined domain like computer science. Bitcoin starts at the overlap, at the intersection of very different, uh, different domains, at least three. One is basically financial, economical, about harmony, sun money, central banks, value, what is value and stuff like that. The other is exclusively technical about peer-to-peer -peer system and cryptography uh, cryptography and uh, and infosec and very tech technological kind of field and the other one is basically uh, political libertarianism uh, anarchism crypto anarchism and this connection is is not just made up it's explicit uh, people in the cypherpunk mailing list was discussing anonymity pseudonymity crypto anarchy there was a, not everybody was uh, 100 percent anarchist most cypherpunks were not but there was a strong connection with this kind of line of thought so what happens is that right now you have people that are very very uh sold on one of these things they are very they are purists in one of these things but they are they are just in my opinion contradict contradictory or uh, not not that consistent in other fields for example you have a developer that maybe will be super uh, super uh, clear in his thinking about peer-to-peer uh, -peer system cryptography or cryptographic primitives but they will not really understand that one plus one makes two when they discuss police and borders and animal rights and food and whatever uh, because the fact that they are separating the state for money in one uh, in one specific uh, 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 sector doesn't they they don't accept to be challenged in other sectors. So yes, we can throw away central banks, but I mean public health that's different. So yes, I can challenge economists, but challenging doctors, uh, well that's different. So the same kind of approach of method that using Bitcoin for one thing. You, uh, you may not be willing to expand it on other things. And this is also a trade-off because, as we said, if I, if I didn't discuss anything which is not strict, for example, politically speaking, within Bitcoin, if you accept that uh, monetary policy should not be controlled by politicians but should be algorithmic, and if you accept that a sound monetary policy is preferable to an inflationary monetary policy, and if you accept that financial freedom should, should be uh, unrestricted without any kind of censorship, then whatever you think about cops is not really relevant. It's most, it's most a matter of, uh, of, um, of intellectual rigor and intellectual integrity. For me, I want to use Bitcoin, I mean, I want to approach people and say, if you do understand Bitcoin, I'm challenging you to use the same method, the same rigor, the same critical thing, the same independent verification approach to something else that you just, just accepted because experts, because my father did, the, my, my family, my country, because that's the normal way. If you are being a, if you are being a nerd in Bitcoin, try to be a nerd also in something else. And, and, and so I, I like to challenge people about that. And this is not really life versus life uh, left versus right either because not for me at least because when we discuss police uh, right-wing bitcoiners they hate me because i think that uh, monopolizing violence in the hand of a single organization is crazy is suicidal just like central banking and it will be as 
uh, as uh, um, as dangerous as central banking, and it can be solved just like central banking can be solved. Maybe not directly, but Bitcoin by Bitcoin, but indirectly. And right wing people would hate me because of that. And when I talk against borders, and I talk about like guys, you may love Trump's wall, but you may know that you, you should know that Bitcoin is made to uh, to go across walls. Bitcoin will be used also for smuggling smuggling goods and people across borders because that's what uh, censorship resistance does people will use bitcoin to smuggle goods services and people across borders and right-wing bitcoiners hate that left-wing bitcoiners uh, usually they, they have they have other kind of idiosyncrasies that uh, that i that i that i fight about which is mostly the abolition of uh, uh, the centralized welfare state which is not the abolition of any welfare activity it's just a decentralization and recently since the the international left seems culturally speaking seems to go in the direction of censoring speech and the direction of establish this kind of healthcare based dictatorship I will probably clash with left-leaning people about that. And then, of course, about uh, so-called social justice warriorism. So uh, the co considering speech as violence, which, as Neil said, is very, very, it's a very important point. Because if speech is violence, then everything is violence as nothing is. We cannot anymore distinguish between somebody punching you and somebody disagreeing with you. So we, we lose everything. So. The point is that you can find developers that are actually that are very good in, in technicality, but they are clueless about investment and they are clueless about libertarianism. You can find libertarians, a lot of them, completely clueless about the technology like Roger Ver about scalability or completely clueless about, uh, about um, a, a fundamental monetary uh, theory like uh, shitcoiners, which are libertarians, but they think that libertarianism means that barter is better than one kind of money, which is technically false, but they just don't understand. So we have three kinds of culture overlapping in a very complex way. And um, and I think I will want to challenge, I remember you uh, posting, uh -oh. you Peter posting this, yeah, the pie chart about uh, uh, people and people interested in Austin economics and uh, cypherpunk. And there are very small people, uh, small yeah. slide of the, Pie. But I think that if you do that that pie better, you will find that a lot of people are interested at political theory, just not in technology. And a lot of people are interested in technology, but not on monetary theory. And if you try to to take all the complex uh, topics that Bitcoin is going to to, uh, to to challenge, you will see that probably everybody, uh, even if you are a normie, most of your knowledge will be heavily challenged and affected by taking bitcoin seriously yeah i mean that pie chart was really designed to trigger a conversation which it did you know this is a conversation for, for another day perhaps about libertarianism in that like i think it's uh like i support it a lot of the ideas directionally i just don't think it's personally i just don't think it's achievable but we can do that another day I, a, a different point though being in that these kind of like other ideas these other topics that tend to get discussed around bitcoin perhaps one of the things is is that there's no real unifying definition of what Bitcoin is or is meant to be. Like, is it money? Is it digital gold? If it's digital gold, well, can it not just be an asset that is like gold but better, but but exists in the societal structure we have? Some people talk about what Bitcoin can become, which can be you know, separation of money and state, 
um, the, um, which ultimately, if you have separation of money and state, you probably have the end of the state. So you probably move to more, more towards anarchism. But, but is that actually fundamentally part of Bitcoin? Could it be that a potentially a lot of people just want this better form of money and they want it, but within a current kind of de democratic structure? Does that make sense? It makes sense. But the point is, do you want to, ch the, the point is your intention. Do you want to try to extrapolate from, uh, from logical consistency or, you do, or do you want to limit yourself at the point on topic? Both approaches as advantages, like focus versus, uh, uh, versus extrapolation. They both have uh, the advantages. So think about, you are a guy uh, promoting the printing press in, uh, during Gutenberg times. So you are analyzing the printing press from a technological and social point of view, and you think that the printing press will actually uh, destroy the capability of, uh, of the new nation states and of the church to censor books. Because now, instead of having few people writing books by hand, you have a printing press. So censorship of, of forbidden books will basically crash down. So what do you do? Do you want to... Uh, so now you're talking with a guy that says the printing press is great and I just want a more efficient way to print my stuff. I don't care about uh, uh, free speech. That's, that's just a radical view that is too, uh, it's too niche for me. I mean, only, uh, only uh, crazy anarchists talk about uh, uh, ending the, the list of forbidden books. So I'm an army. I just want better press. What do you do with this army? If you think that you see, and if you think that you're right, and you are seeing a connection, a social connection between that kind of technological improvement and the, the global uh, wider problem of censorship of books, uh, you have two choices. One is you poke this guy and you say, you think that that censorship of book is fine, but you know that the technology that you are promoting and developing in your company is going to make censorship of book basically impossible. And don't you understand that there is a logical consistency in that and that censorship of books was also bad? Or the other approach is don't poke him, don't bother him, he's helping you. So why do you care for getting him on your side? Uh, so one side is, is just a pleasure of intellectual consistency. You are helping guy, the guy to understand, you, you think that you use Bitcoin as a tool to make some guy awake from, from some kind of fallacy or misconception. The other approach is don't bother the guy who is helping your evolution without even knowing it. So I think they're both valid. I like the first, as you can imagine. I like, I like yeah, because I'm, I like logical consistency. I, I like maybe in some, some topics I'm wrong, but if I think I'm right, I will not censor myself because I could uh, displease somebody. Like most of Bitcoiners are atheists. I think probably you you guys are both atheists. I don't know. I think atheism is a logical contradiction. And I will trigger people with this all the time because I like it, because I think it's true. So I like to be logically consistent. And uh, even if this can create conflicts where before there was a, there was a, uh, there was friendship, because I mean, it's still friendship if you help each other finding uh, misconception and, and, and strengthening your thought. Yeah, but th these logical consistencies are debatable points about ideas about societal structures it doesn't mean it will work out that way because of human nature the way that people are so like i no, can't I, 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 my, my biggest issue with those kind of um points are it's very unspecific about um it provides no alternative view for how things will turn out it just says 
the real world is complex, uh, people have human nature, and the future is unpredictable, therefore we don't know. And that's not interesting. Like, well, no, if I, you don't no, no, think- I actually had a point. So my point being is it wasn't just, um, I just don't think it's possible to have like a, a, a cohesive anarchist society. Like I understand, like I completely support every one of your arguments um, for why the state is bad, Giacomo. But what I did do is I kind of went and studied like the human hierarchy of needs, like the way we operate. I, I think I think the state is inevitable in certain situations, and therefore, and also I think some people they want some people want to lead, some people want to be led. Not every state is bad. Uh, the problem we have is these super states, which are bad, right? Um, well, uh, there are very two different. Uh, there are two different statements there. One is it's inevitable. I mean, for now, cancer is inevitable. Doesn't mean it's good uh, to have some cancer. So one course. thing is I don't believe it's realistically to get rid of this. And one thing is I think that some degree of this is good. There are completely different claims. I agree with the skepticism of people that says getting rich of big mafias, which I, what I, is what I think states are, is unrealistic. I agree. Crime will always be there. And so organized crime will be there. And states are just a subset of organized crimes for me. So it, they will probably always be there at some form. But one other thing is, since it's inevitable, then a small degree of it is also right uh, or, or good. Well, no, that's the same for diseases. Uh, you want to, uh, if you are a doctor, you want to, to, your goal is perfect health. Is perfect health possible? No. Death and diseases and old age will always be there. But you strive to get a better quality of life for longer time. And so I would strive for always more freedom from crime and more defense of property right. Uh, and, but it doesn't mean that I think that it will just match that, that it will be an Eden where, where crime will disappear. The, the, the proof that this view is naive is that states exist in the first place. Is, if states exist, it means that there is no stable uh, situation in which state cannot arise. It can always, always arise, otherwise it will not exist in the first place. So it's, uh, fully anarchist doesn't mean optimistic about the realism of complete abolition of organized crime. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess what the point I'm trying to get is, is like, I'm trying to understand there is like this, like, I know your end goal. Well, kind of, I, I suspect I know your end goal. Um, I just think it's not that it isn't achievable and it's not that it shouldn't be commendable. Like, you, sh like maybe you can't get rid of cancer, but you should at least try it. But the point is, like, what do we do now? Yeah, what do we do within the structure with we're, we're in? Like, how do we cope? How do we survive? How do we deal with... Yeah, situations such as lockdowns and such. So I'm always trying to, like, should I just, uh, and I do question this, I do wrestle with this, should I just extract myself from that, the ultimate goal is freedom and therefore everything should directionally move towards that, or do I kind of, like, play within the kind of field we're in now and accept where we are? And, and do you understand what I'm wrestling with? Sure, sure, but it, that's about priorities and personal strategies. As Neil said, the world is complex, and even if we can agree, we can debate and find the the, the truth uh, using logics. Doesn't mean that priorities will be simple to find. For example, uh, I could I have many friends that says prohibition about drugs is bad because it's logically bad. 
but I don't care because I don't need drugs. I don't like drugs. So this is the, the less battle I will always fight because I really don't care. This is not a priority for me. Mm -hmm. uh, many things that are not about these are more important to me. So this is completely fine. I don't think that everybody should have the same priority. That the, the, the society is complex. The world is complex. So it's a feature that we can have different priorities. But if you think that some of your reasonings is logically wrong, I, I, I don't think it's a feature to have somebody be logically wrong. I think it's more a feature to interact in that case and to find if we can actually uh, pinpoint the fallacy there. Okay. So I interrupted you, Neil, when you were responding. That was fine. I was getting quite animated. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just a, a general frustration with um, conversations that go on on Twitter. There's kind of, among a large portion of Bitcoiners, there's this common thread where they start mocking um, some of the more libertarian-minded Bitcoiners about their claims that Bitcoin will help defund the state and reduce the size of the state. But they don't provide any alternative viewpoints on what Bitcoin um, will do. So, for instance, if Bitcoin succeeds, there are only three possible outcomes. One, the, the, it causes the state to retreat. Two, it empowers the state and the state grows. Uh, or three, nothing, nothing changes. And like nothing changes seems extremely unlikely. And like if you think that reducing the state is ridiculous, ha ha ha, like of course they'll still tax people. Like explain how that's going to happen. Like how how is it going to increase under a Bitcoin standard? And I think it's very difficult. I mean, you don't see anybody doing that one. I think it's very difficult to argue that case because by taking away the power of central banking from the state, you take away a massive toolkit from the state for um, enforcing um, and, and broadcasting their power around a, a geographical area. So like, um, I, I, I just get frustrated with that kind of, um, they, they kind of like make this kind of high horse point of view. That's like um, uh, the world's way more complex than that. And um, uh, these problems are difficult. Like you think just like buying Bitcoin will solve this. It's like, well, it's not gonna solve everything, but it will um, create better conditions for um, reducing the power of the state. And that's not like completely nonsensical. And at least if that's a goal of yours, working towards it is, I mean, like Bitcoin is a, a sensible way of working towards that. So so I actually agree with you. I, th I, I agree with point one. I think it does. Uh, well, it does if it receives, I guess it has to achieve a certain tipping point, right? And we don't know what that tipping point is. It's already, it's already, um, doing it at a very low level. There are a bunch of people that are able to um, um, avoid the state um, better than they could in the past just by having Bitcoin available to them. Um, and um, as the Bitcoin market cap grows, Bitcoin will become more powerful for that. As um, like Bitcoin liquidity increases, i.e. the number of people that will accept Bitcoin as a, as a form of payment, um, as that increases, that will also kind of um, empower people more and more to um, Act outside of um, uh, uh, outside of these um, state entities. Well, I, d I don't think it, we've got to the tipping point where it's negatively affecting the government's ability to do exactly as they want right now. I don't think it's causing a retreat just yet. I think, I think, I, th I don't think we're there yet. Yeah, I mean, the state is like getting insane under the current corona conditions, right? Yeah. But, um, yeah. Uh, it, it yes. to a small extent. There is a complex a complex evaluation because there is a, a trend. So you can you can think about the trend of a state power without Bitcoin, and it's 
growing in in, in increasing pace uh, at the end of the, the of the uh, money manipulation and uh, financial censorship parabola and then there is the situation with bitcoin that may i think it's like nate said is objectively and and undoubtedly decreasing uh, uh, respect to the alternative uh, counterfactual when there is no bitcoin like i my, my cousin because i i always pay every tax of course always but my cousin for example doesn't pay any serious tax on their uh, income and wealth since a while right now so uh, hurrah for him so about people are, are fighting censorship in 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 the dictatorial regimes this is happening so there is less state intervention that uh, in a world without bitcoin i think it's it's clear it's logically clear but still state intervention is probably growing because it was already growing for other um, independent trends that were set in motion way before bitcoin and, and to which bitcoin is probably also somehow an answer and 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 and, and a response I, I guess that's where narrative becomes really important then because if if somebody has a goal with bitcoin to separate money and state therefore and therefore avoid paying taxes as such then their use of Bitcoin very much needs to be a lot more around the circular economy and being able to essentially not leave too much of a, you know, uh, like some kind of like financial track record. But like, even if, but then even if they're on the uh, kind of government radar, the government say, well, you've got a business here. What's, we haven't had any uh, uh, tax filings from you. How are you making money? Oh, you accept Bitcoin. There, there can perhaps be an investigation. Yes, it can be hidden, but that's a very, that is a niche situation right now, whereas it isn't a niche situation for some people to want to just own and have exposure to Bitcoin. So perhaps the the big growth area for Bitcoin isn't people doing doing what you said there. The big growth area is people just want exposure to Bitcoin. It's digital to, digital gold. It's a hedge of inflation, and that's where the majority of the growth is. But those people perhaps will still then pay their taxes. And but they're two very different narratives. But but inflation is a tax. I mean, it's it's, it's yeah, both. They are strictly connected. With without, uh, if people stops uh, buying inflation uh, by following the legal tender and actually they use an alternative for store of value, they will decrease the spending ability of the state. Will will which will have less money to pay for agents that will have to individually investigate on people avoiding taxes with with Bitcoin. So it's it's a feedback loop which is very complex, it's very intricate. I think that we can make a, a simplification and say that there is there are very few uh, sense in which Bitcoin is increasing state power so far. Uh, like there is some blockchain analytics, uh, but but still, if the comparison was credit cards, it, it still so the the differential it's it's mostly negative. In any case, you can uh, think for. Of course, you may say that mass adoption of people just opting out of fiat inflation is uh, stronger than black pure black market. But I think that's illusory because uh, uh, Bitcoin is an edge against inflation only because uh, uh, so far gov the government is not forbidding to use it as an edge against inflation. Uh, if uh, inflation becomes a serious problem and Bitcoin becomes a serious threat to the effectiveness of inflation tax, the government will just make you il make illegal to, st to be exposed to Bitcoin in, a, in an optimal way, just like they did with gold, with Roosevelt. So th the point is that it's very circular. It's impossible to think that uh, we trick the government out of the most powerful taxation mechanism ever, which is inflation, and the government will just 
say, okay, we just tax your home, but they will not try to make money out of inflation anymore. That's just a realistic. They will react, they will adapt, and everybody will ultimately be in a gray market or black market by definition, because that's the, the strength of Bitcoin, that it can resist a legal ban. Yeah, look, I, I'm I'm not disagreeing, but I'm just saying that like reducing the power of the state, that the amount now is negligible. It, it's it, I would say it's it's not even on the radar of impacting the state, right? So there has to be a tipping point, but that tipping point, I don't know what that tipping point is. You know, we've gone through a pandemic and shut down our economies, and the state hasn't lost any power. If anything, they've increased power. And if 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 that is the narrative, if that is the important narrative, well. Uh, like, I mean, I might be an irresponsible myself. We're just talking about exposure to Bitcoin. Like, will a lot of people just be holding it on Coinbase or will a lot of people just be buying it to sell in the future? And they don't give a fuck about having this black market economy. I just think they're two different narratives. And is Bitcoin either of them? Does it matter? Like, is it important to push that black market side? Is it important? Like, because Neil, you opened up with a very passionate uh, and, and right speech about the the kind of disgusting way governments have treated people over the last what, ever centuries. And, you know, if Bitcoin is a chance to stop this, then people just holding it on Coinbase or just buying it for exposure isn't really going to do that. It is people adopting the full black economy and choosing to avoid taxes. That's where it will make a real difference. Uh, I don't think people have to, um, like Jack Moore said, people don't have to avoid taxes for this to work. Okay. Um, the, the key to, to um, make money more expensive again. So right now, yeah, the state inflates and, and, and um, takes out massive loans to kind of support its taxation, but also money is just super cheap. Like interest rates are like artificially low. Um, it makes it easy for people that are politically affiliated to get hold of large sums of money. So like um, uh, getting rid of that is a key step towards um, improving the situation. Also, like Giacomo said, once everybody is on a Bitcoin standard, if they're not holding on a custodian, then it makes it a lot easier for them to avoid tax if they decide that tax has become excessive or tyrannical. And that, that does happen in certain countries. So it's important that people have, have that option. Mm. But yes, um, I think you're right that the number goes up. Um, thing is more attractive to um, people. That's why people most most people get into Bitcoin in the first uh, in the first place. So myself, like I, I wasn't into any of this until I got into Bitcoin. I got into Bitcoin because the chart was going up. Look at you now. <laughs> I think you'd be surprised how much people will change. Um, I've got a big tweet thread of people saying like Bitcoin changed me. I think even holding some Bitcoin on Coinbase for a few months, people will already start to kind of see their ideas change. And as well, like if states do start. Um, leveraging and um, controlling and um, stealing from custodians, people's minds will change even faster because they were there for the number goes up and then their number goes down. Like they're going to be very upset. Yeah. So, and I think you'll see a move towards people taking more care about their keys um, running their own nodes and stuff like that. But it, it potentially will take kind of um, that fight back to cause that, um, that um, immune reaction where people start taking more responsibility for their for their assets. Yeah, it's funny. It does change. I, I definitely can empathize with that. I'll tell you something funny, Giacomo. When I, um, back in end of 2016, when I got back into Bitcoin, I was a vegan. That's a true story. Yeah, but 
Uh, I mean, you, we always, uh, this, the meat stuff, the carnivorous stuff is another example of something that started as ironic, mostly yeah. uh, like toxic. So uh, we, we started to over emphasize and uh, use hyperboles about carnivorism because it's just funny. It's just also self, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's self mocking about, uh, about toxicity, about, uh, but actually, if you think about that, uh, it's not true that there is no connection. We were discussing this stuff, of course, with Saifedian a lot of times, but there is a connection. It's obvious that it doesn't mean that there is a deterministic link between Bitcoin and uh, a change in your diet. No, you I can, know, you can get Bitcoin, but it's clear. But there is something there. For example, a generalized approach about uh, um, so-called fiat experts. So right now we live in a world where governments are appointing people to create a pseudo-scientific narrative about complex sciences where there is literally no experimental verification. So this stuff is true in microeconomics. So they are using that to justify uh, interest rates, manipulation and, 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 social, uh, and social structure and stuff. And they're using that in other fields as well. So there is a reason that when, when people become skeptical about the narrative in economics, they have higher probability to become skeptical about the prevalent narrative in other fields, which may, be, may, may mean that you become even more vegan because now you know that there is a government conspiracy against vegetables or that you can, but it doesn't matter the outcome. What it matters is that there is a connection between uh, an increase of, uh, uh, a, 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 of skepticism about easy uh, mainstream narrative in many, many fields. So there is a connection there. I won't bring up global warming because we'll go off for another hour. But it's, sim but it's similar. It's just let's not get in, into details. But it's similar. It's not a surprise. I don't find surprising that there is an overlap between skeptical people about uh, pre uh, prevalent narrative in any topic, including that. It's just natural. It doesn't no, mean it's not a proof. It's not that if Bitcoin works, that's a proof that global warming is not anthropic or it is a. Uh, it's, it's not that. It's, it's not crazy that it's not, it shouldn't be surprising that people who are getting into Bitcoin are, are requiring more and more direct evidence to be independently verifiable about a lot of impactful and consequential uh, theories and narratives. No, no, I agree. And uh, yeah, that skepticism is important. I found it on myself sometimes, but at the same time, some of them are very wrong about global warming. But we don't need to go into that now. I'll just say that i'm right <laughs> we've gone down a, like a, a rabbit hole here like i didn't even expect we'll go to but just 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 bringing it back look the, the, it's really useful for me i i am a, a centrist by heart and i am somebody who thinks about i'm a bit softer about certain issues um and i am conscious about uh not producing the wrong type of content or not leading you know if i got uh, newcomers to bitcoin discover my podcast not lead them down the wrong route and that toxicity thing is is really interesting and i i think i'm kind of falling on the i don't want it ever to be malicious but i think ultimately like this is this one shot of bitcoin it's important we get this right we don't want social attacks and i i wouldn't ever want to produce something that that helps support any kind of social attack so it's been very useful for me um i don't know if it's useful for you too neil you're a tough debater <laughs> uh yeah i mean if we're, if we're going on final words like i think one of the really important things to understand is that we're anybody in the industry right now or anybody investing in bitcoin is doing so because they're expecting bitcoin to grow 
Now, you might not expect the market cap to go up very much. That's like illogical because if you've got more users, the market cap is going up. Like there's only a limited set of Bitcoins. So we're here because it's going to grow. And as it grows, um, things are going to get tougher because it's going to start coming into competition with some very dangerous powers um, around the world, both banks and, both, and states as well. Um, and like, um, like the, the heat is going to be on, not only from within the Bitcoin sphere, where we're never all going to agree with each other, but also externally with people upset with um, uh, what Bitcoin is doing. So like right now we live, especially in like Western countries, we live in this dem democratic paradigm where everybody expects to have a say in everything that happens within their geographic area. And a lot of people, if like Bitcoin starts to succeed and fiat currencies start to fail, they're going to start thinking, well, I didn't vote for this. Like this isn't something that I chose. And they're also going to be very um, upset to see some people getting rich while they're getting poor. Um, like pensions and stuff will start getting wiped out if like the fiat system starts to fail. So you're going to have a lot of very upset people. And if you're complaining about the low level criticism that you get in the Bitcoin, uh, in, on Bitcoin Twitter or any of the other Bitcoin forums right now. Like that is nothing compared to what people will be facing um, uh, down the line. So like, I think it's important that we see kind of resilience as a good quality for people to have and weakness as a bad quality for people to have. So like people need to toughen up in my opinion. Um, and then another thing to, that I think is really important to hi highlight, if toxicity is genuinely um, so risky, to the Bitcoin project, if it can um, decelerate progress or if it can actually destroy the project entirely, then it becomes an extremely cheap attack for Bitcoin's enemies to implement. So like if sending abusive messages to um, uh, Bitcoin developers or um, uh, shitcoiners is, is bad for the Bitcoin project, it's very, very easy for well-funded entities to set up farms to do exactly that and harass people and end the project right here. So like people need to understand that like they need they need to deal with these kind of issues because Bitcoin does have enemies and it will get um, it will get um, hotter out there um, if well, it grows. I mean, you could fail, but yeah, if it grows, yeah, I, I struggle. I, I would struggle to argue against your points there, and it's definitely definitely shifted my thinking. Uh, considering the wider population we just had a vote in the uk based on the government's response to the coronavirus and only 13 percent of people think they've gone too far so that is a that's a lot of people we have to toughen up yeah, it's a, um, yeah I saw that you the, the, the comparison is very very uh, is very very interesting because what neil is talking about is basically immunization there is something that you cannot really shield from because it's impossible to shield developers from crit internet criticism. So the only, uh, uh, the only answer is not robustness, is not avoiding that, it's just anti-fragility. It just uh, get Im immunity against that, uh, it, which doesn't mean that I want to be the one uh, writing you bad, nasty messages in private to tell you off. That, that's not the point. It's not, it's not about being personally mean. It's about uh, uh, challenge each other to become stronger and to accept and resist this kind of uh, of very cheap social attack because there is no way we can shield people from from those so we may just as well uh, help people to get some kind of immunity to that kind of stuff and and and, and separating completely uh, bad unproductive bad behavior like random attacks from uh, criticism that can also be 
strong criticism because criticism is not always uh, soft. Sometimes criticism can, can can be deep, and when uh, when something is consequential, uh, the debate can get heated. It's it's natural and it's healthy. So uh, if you see somebody that is yeah. that is breaking down because of criticism, help him personally. Be nice, but uh, but that let's not go into the inception in which we stop discussing the topic and we start, as Neil said discussing against the arguing against the people arguing against the topic in the wrong way i mean uh, if you if you yeah. want to be nice be nice but not be nasty with people who are being nasty with nasty people because that's a little bit too much yeah. and and a lot of a lot of this discussion about toxicity is that is people being toxic to people because they think they're being too toxic with toxic people okay. this is a little bit too much uh, of of layers let's that's stay a, basic that's uh yeah that's the show quote there. You've done it. I'm going to get that one out. Um, yeah, no, that immune that immunity to it is is a good point. Look, it is. Look, it depends on who you are. Some people just just floats off them. Um, it can it can be brutal sometimes, and it can drain you, and it can affect your day. I mean, it can be tough to to go through a period of uh, bullshit. I spoke to other people who've been through it, but um, I, I was listening to Rogan the other day when he was talking about just fucking ignore people. Just that's it. That's that's the answer. Well, um, but this is, that's a big place, and like. Bitcoin is totally permissionless. You can continue working on whatever Bitcoin project you want, whether it's core development or some kind of um, uh, corporate project. You can continue doing that and you can create your own space. Just get off to it, delete your account. Like if, if it's too much for you and it's horrible, th there are very easy ways to create spaces online where you can vet the people that are coming in and make sure that they, they, they meet whatever um, um, requirements that like you need. But I, I guarantee you that people that set up those kind of spaces are very likely to come back to Twitter because the spaces that they create, if they're too demanding, they're going to be sanitized. Everybody's going to be being fake to each other. Um, it's not going to be a particularly exciting place to be. So um, I think like people need to bear in mind that like the the rough comes with that kind of chaos that, that that Bitcoin, Twitter, and other kind of public forums have. Just as a closing point, it's a complete side issue. Neil, you mentioned. Um... You know, if Bitcoin continues to grow, some people are going to get very rich and other people are going to lose money. I did a really interesting interview yesterday with Yassine from ARK Invest. I don't know if either of you have seen the two white papers they've put out, just come out with regard to Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a novel economic institution. In some ways, it's quite, an, I said to him at the time, it's quite an anarchist paper. But um, one of the most interesting things is kind of like looking at Bitcoin in terms of revolution, uh, changes in time. I mentioned this book, um, Engines That Move Markets. You had the industrial industrialization. We had the internet. Uh, we had Essentially, we've had the second phase in the internet, which is much more about information. And now we've got this kind of third phase, which is like the financialization, which is Bitcoin. And, you know, if doing an industrial revolution, like the people who took the risks, who built the factories, are the ones that profited. The, the people who created the internet companies profited through the second wave of the internet, the people who created the social networks profited. You know, if if this is the natural evolution of humans towards another phase, which is a separation of money and state, the people who took the earlier earliest risks will profit. That's just a natural conclusion that we have through every kind of epoch of human history. Oh, sure. Well, who is better at predicting the future will invest better. Uh, that's that's an inevitable. Yeah. Of course, monetization in Bitcoin is not as trivial as in other fields. Like, uh, but the internet was also very challenging. Indeed, they came up with this monetization model, which is not great. Which is advertising against mm -hmm. free free uh, free content is not great. But it was the only one because you the internet is too open and too permissionless to 
to actually uh, to, to keep to scale a, a, a license model or stuff like or pay to see uh, stuff like that so with Bitcoin is similar uh, there are many ways to monetize uh, the first one is uh, hardware infrastructure because hardware is not as permissionless as uh, software. So if, uh, a few companies will do ASICs as uh, it will never, I mean, never say never, but it will be a long time before people can make bio ASICs in their garden. Uh, they, you will need specialization to do ASICs. So that's profit, that's margin. Uh, hardware wallets, maybe they will become a little bit more commodity, but still there will be a lot of risk and reputation and trust involved. So probably you will have margins and you will have companies. Uh, hardware nodes, maybe you can have people doing that themselves on their Raspberry Pi, but maybe some people will manage to put a small margin on some kind of easily verifiable hardware node. Then you have a financial matching of demand and offer, which is exchanges. Uh, you will make money with exchanges because if we have money on fiat money and this money is migrating to Bitcoin, somebody will have to bridge it uh, because Bitcoin doesn't need bridges, but fiat does. And whoever will provide the fiat escrow, the fiat, uh, the fiat gate, will make money, will we'll profit from that. And, and then you can have uh, people just buying Bitcoin and sitting on that, which is like people buying web domains in the 90s and buying abc.com and pizza.com and just wait. Because if you have adoption, you have a scarcity and you will have in, in uh, increasing of price. So there, there are that's inevitable, I think. And this is a more general dynamic that if you are better at predicting the future and you can invest and you can save and you can choose, probably you will make money. So getting back to our, the culture ring of uh, libertarians and tech guys and, uh, and investors, the tech guys, uh, especially open source tech guys, they are a little bit anti-profit. There is this bias again that if you're making money, there's something wrong. But that's not the case. The point the, uh, with closed software with patents is that people were making money in a wrong way that was actually hurtful to, to the world. It was bad for security, for uh, auditability, it was bad for incentives. But making money is not wrong. If you are, if you are serving other people better, you will make more money because your, your service is more useful for other people. It's just specialization, it's division of labor. Making money is great. There's nothing wrong in people making profit. Good. All right, well, listen, look, we went through a different rabbit, uh, down a few different rabbit holes there, but it was great as ever. Um, I've come out a tougher, harder Bitcoiner because of it, so thank you. Uh, Giacomo, how do people find you? Well, actually, finally, there is www.giacomozucco.com. Uh, Panic Fomo helped Word. me to set up a WordPress with BTC Pay server. So finally, you can uh, mostly see my articles and, uh, and, um, and videos, and you can check uh, incoming workshops and seminaries and subscribe and is you can also book my time because a lot of people are asking for so uh, so next time peter you will have to to use a btc pay server for for a podcast <laughs> all right i will use btc pay server and neil how do people find you and neil we don't do this enough this is like nearly two years ago last time we did this um we should do it at least once a year but how do people find you uh, they can find me on twitter uh at nwood fine very easy yeah don't expect him to be nice to you. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, listen, look, good luck with everything. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Take care. Bye. Thanks. All right. What do you think of that one? Did you enjoy that? I always love getting Giacomo on. Gives me such a hard time, but I do love getting him on. And, and a massive thanks to Giacomo because he's always helping me out in the background. I do 
put some of my ideas by him. I do you know, put things I want to work on with him. You know, he is a guiding light. Um, and also thanks to Neil. Neil, I have a few more tough conversations with. Um, you know, a few things recently where I've questioned UX and stuff. And, you know, I've had to have a conversation with Neil about that. But, you know, Neil is tough. Yeah, that's the reason I wanted him on. I wanted to be pushed hard on this. And look, this ended up going down a, like a political and libertarian rabbit hole. And to be honest, I felt the conversation probably could have gone on for another couple of hours. Um, and I wasn't totally prepared for some of the areas it went in. I realised like I need to like sharpen my knives on some of the, some of the issues I have. I, I guess what it is is like I'm a bit of a centrist and I try and see all sides, which means I don't always have a firm opinion of something. Uh, but that's just the way it is. But I really did enjoy this. It definitely shifted my opinion. So thanks to Giacomo and Neil for coming on and doing this. Like I always say, if you've got any questions about the show, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. If you want to support the show, I've been asking recently if you can go on iTunes and leave me a review. And I've been getting a bunch of them recently. So thank you so much. Everyone who's done it, I really appreciate it. If you do like the show, if you've got two minutes, please do head over to iTunes and give me a review. Hopefully five stars if you think I deserve it. It really helps with the rankings. And these catch up pump because he's been killing it recently and he's my nemesis <laughs> no it's actually my friend but still yes if you can leave me a review i would really really appreciate it as i said in my intro defiance is really killing it at the moment with this series about Ghislaine maxwell it's a fascinating story we've gone down a real deep rabbit hole investigating her she's the ex-partner of disgraced financier jeffrey epstein that's all available at defiance.news outside of that have a great weekend and as i said if you've got any questions you can reach out to me it's hello at whatbitcoindid.com.